Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman, and in the room with me is our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, and calling in from the road is our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Uh, intern Erica is not here today. We're working the ones and twos. Uh, she's, she's busy. I think she's, she actually is out of town, too, I believe. Yeah, it's pretty uh, lonely in here right now. It's just me and you. Because we're in the huge Batman boardroom. <laughs> like like uh, the first Batman, <laughs> that giant table at dinner yeah. where it's like, can you pass the salt? And Bruce Wayne has to get up and walk like a full like five yards. Um, Max, how's it going? I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah, feeling good. How are you guys doing? I miss you. I wish I was in there right now. Ah, yeah. Uh, but we got you on the phone, and that's good. You know what? I feel amazing because uh, something historic happened this weekend on Sunday uh, night. <laughs> the Toronto Raptors uh, moved on into the conference finals. Uh, their series with the 76ers of Philadelphia has wrapped, but that is not what is historic. What's historic is the way it happened uh, with Kawhi Leonard um, hitting a buzzer beater at the end of a Game 7 uh, to win the series. Uh, the most dramatic and cinematic shot that I've ever probably uh, seen. It's it was it's like if you put that in a movie and like a screenwriter said, oh, the ball is going to bounce four times before it goes in, and the whole arena and twenty thousand people are going to just stand still and, and kind of wait for it to go down. You would say that's bullshit. The ball doesn't bounce like that. Yet, stranger than fiction, it happened. In well, it's life. never happened before in NBA history. Yeah. Uh, in game seven. There's never been a buzzer beater. Yeah, it's pretty cool for that to be a part of Toronto Raptors history. Hey guys, did, did you see the, um, the the spot the Raptors just put out in the last hour? Um, did you see the, this thing, the Raptors Instagram? No, it's awesome. Is it is it all basically, the fans celebrating? Yeah. yeah, so basically they got a lot of fan footage, and I'm in it, so no big deal. A little shout out to myself uh, for making the cut, <laughs> but also um, I want you to check it out. But basically, uh, the cam um, they do this sort of POV of Kawhi's journey to that uh, from one end of the court to the other, uh, and then him falling. But it's all from his POV. It's really cool, and uh, I thought they they turned it around within obviously like twenty four hours, and uh, they did a really good job. So shout out to the Raptors. PR staff or whoever does that because they did a great job. Well, I just so the Globe and Mail put together a supercut of all of these fans celebrating that it was just like it felt so good. It was so well done. I showed it to Shane literally like an hour and a half ago. Did you see this thing on the Globe and Mail? Have you seen that one yet, Max? No, I haven't seen that one. I yeah, they put something it. together yesterday. This came out yesterday. It was just like fans from across the country had sent in footage of them celebrating. And so they put it together and I showed Shane the supercut. And then I, w- I just said they have to make a commercial of this. And now they have, but they've included your uh, amazing video. Yeah, Max, you were in the building. So, so walk us through what that, that feeling was like in the building. Oh, my God. It was, an, it, well, as you know, it was an incredible game. Uh, it was close the whole time. The Raptors were up by a bit, and then they were down. And I was super nervous. And, you know, I, the, last, um, the last time we went to a game, you know, my heart was pounding the following day. Like, even though we had won, I was still, you know, like nervous. I had, I had the nerves. Yeah. And I felt like that uh, for game seven. I was, I was in a suite. Uh, Jeffrey from Universal, uh, our, the president of our, the label, he invited me. And it, was, it was ended, ended up being a cool vibe. Kaiza, the artist, was there. Um, the, uh, uh, Jimmy Shaw from Metric was there. So it was, it was definitely a good hang. Manager Ash came, and um, I ended up uh, hanging out uh, with this dude, and I forget his name, but he manages the act Boy Wanda, and uh, you know he's he had he was friends with Rich Paul. He used to work for Rich Paul, so he was on the the phone. And Rich Paul, if you don't know, is uh, LeBron James's agent. He's like a big power player in NBA circles, 
And Rich Paul was at the game. And so he was on the phone talking to him at halftime. And he looked up. Rich Paul was sitting courtside. He looked up and, like, waved to us in the suite. So I was like, oh, this is cool. And and he and he's also good friends with Tristan Thompson, this guy, because he grew up with Tristan Thompson. Rich Paul is Tristan's agent and Ben Simmons' agent. That's right. And that's why Rich Paul was at the game, because yeah. Ben Simmons was obviously playing against the Raptors. And... um Apparently, this guy uh, has been on the Kardashian show. Like, if you look, he's just like, if you look at my name on the internet, it's just like there's a lot of Kardashian fans that have just like identified me as like a random guy, <laughs> like on the show. So, anyway, this guy is a huge Raptors fan. And uh, he grew up uh, in Etobicoke and just kind of an interesting dude. He works in music now. And it was, I was standing next to him when the last play was about to happen. And he, this, and he was filming it. And if you watch the Arkell's Instagram, um, you'll notice there's a guy next to me who's filming the play. When it hits the front rim, he gives <laughs> up on it. Yeah. yeah. And he looks away. And then a second later, the ball drops through the hoop and we all start celebrating together. And it's this awesome moment where everybody in the suite are just like hugging each other. I think I was broke my nose because uh, Ruiz, who's Jesse Ray's manager, he was in there too. And he like jumped on me and I thought I broke my nose, <laughs> but I, I didn't. I'm okay. Um, but uh, it's really funny because all the comments on Instagram and Twitter are like, dude, that fucking guy who gave up on the play, fuck that guy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like they're ridiculing him. him a little bit. Yeah. They're all killing him. He, but for the record, he could not be a sweeter guy. And I think most people wouldn't have never assumed that the ball was going to go oh, in. But, but it, anyway, don't look away. Yeah. Don't defend him, Max. You, come on. He gave up on the – that was ridiculous. Yeah, I think really? that guy that is uh, stupid. <laughs> no, you can't defend it. You cannot defend it. The guy literally looked away the minute it hit the iron. Like nobody else did. I've seen every angle of that play. And he's the only one I've ever seen turn his head. Well, maybe my opinion of him is clouded because I had such a good hang with him before. So I'm, for whatever reason, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But, uh, <laughs> but sure, I get what you guys are saying too. <laughs> yeah, on ridiculous misses when the ball hits the rim and it just goes flying in the air and it's clearly not going in. I'm like, imagine it came down and went in. Like, imagine there was a yeah. gust of wind or something. I'm such like a, a dreamer. So that whole time I was like, <laughs> what if, what if? Holy shit. And then you just you're screaming at your house, waking up your kid all of a sudden. Well, this is this is what makes sports so good, too, because it's like every time somebody throws up a heave at like, you know, a half court heave at the buzzard. Everybody always watches because it's like if if that like that small, tiny chance, uh, you know, works in your favor. It's really one of like the greatest things you could ever witness. Right. So. The fact that it they rolled around and bounced around the way it did, it was just like it's just so. Inc- it was incredible. Like I like I'm still happy from it. It's been what 48 of course. hours. Guys? Every time I look over at Mike's computer, he's watching the the shot again. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's like well, it's just yeah. every everyone understands the history behind the shot. What makes it extra special, right? Did Did you explain that? I didn't off no. the top the the Vince Carter Philly thing like 19 years ago. Yeah, like so this exact same scenario was the stage was set for this yeah. 17 years ago. Vince Carter controversially went to his graduation day. Uh, he was he went to North Carolina, right? Yeah, the day of game seven, he went because he always promised his mom he would walk across the stage. So when it came time for him to graduate, instead of sort of preparing mentally uh, for game seven, he got on a private jet and he went and he, he walked across the stage and he held his diploma up. And it was sort of a great moment for education and uh, father, mother or sorry, uh, mother, son relationships. But ultimately, fans were like, 
dude, like you're getting paid $25 million a year. You have to show up to your job. A lot of us would like to go to things, you know, there was a lot of sort of controversy and ultimately Vince played great in that game seven, but it came down to a last shot at the buzzer in Philadelphia game seven. The winner was going to go on to play Milwaukee. The same scenario played out all these years later where it came down (laughs) to the final possession. uh, And this time it was in Kawhi's hands and not Vince. Pure Disney film. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, as an aside, sort of related. Um, so, um, about maybe three or four years ago, there was a big scandal at North Carolina University where it was revealed that most of the players on the basketball team that had been taking African-American studies like never actually wrote any of the papers. And there was basically – they were having other students do the work for them. Right. And so you go back in time and they say like between the years of like – 1995 to 2050 i'm getting those dates wrong it's like most of the players on the basketball team were not doing their work and then i looked it up and i think vince graduated from african-american studies or he had taken some of those yeah but you know what here's the thing i know what you're saying but vince is like he's kind of like he's a pretty studious guy like he played sax in the school band like he (laughs) i don't think like i honestly maybe i'm just naive. do you think he was really playing sax or was just hitting a tape recorder (laughs) (laughs) no i i think that if any like sort of superstar nba player was actually going to to do the work i absolutely think vince probably did his work like i do listen i i I, I tend to agree i tend to agree and by the way um, everyone knows my first email address was vince underscore kermit everyone knows anyone who's Watch the Crave Show. Who yeah, they that? know that. But I disagree. I think the sax was a smokescreen for that because, like you're saying, he played the sax. Of course, he finished his African American studies course. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, I just, I just, I just like that the, there is a possibility that Vince didn't do the work, but then still wanted to graduate, and that was a, a part of the big controversy of that day. I just think like it's just a funny thing to. Go, oh, isn't it funny that Vince really wants to make a big deal of graduating when there there is a very like obvious chance based on this investigation that he didn't do any of the work. I just I just I, I always get a kick out of that. Uh, yeah, I think you're besmirging his good name, Max. I'd be scared about libel right now. <laughs> sure. I, I think Vince did the work. I'm I'm a Vince truther. Uh, but yeah, back to Kawhi. Let's start living in the now and not in the past. Uh, what a magical uh, moment. What a, a great moment for the city and ultimately for long suffering raps fans i know this has been a really fun sort of half decade run um but ultimately it kind of always ends with us being humiliated by lebron or some some sort of like uh, depressing way our seasons seem to come to an end and this year has been i don't know man like that moment is literally like 20 years in the making it's gonna be the 25th anniversary next year i believe for the for the raptors and it's just like it took us so long to have a signature moment. You know, you, the Lakers always have a moment like this or Portland with Dame, you know, like a, a small market team. Like, it's just like, it's never us. Or like Philly gets to go to the finals and take a game off of the Lakers the year that they, they Vince didn't make the shot. It's like, I don't know if we're going to get past Milwaukee and most people will. Yeah, well, I think everybody thought that, the, um, the it, like everybody had that feeling in the back of their mind that this is not going to go our way. As Toronto sports fans, it just really typically does not go our way. That's, I think that's like, the mental state of any Raptors fan. It's like, we're going to find a way to blow this. Uh, and so the fact it went in, it was just like, it was, it was a feeling that we don't get. And if you're like a Golden State Warriors fan, you assume you're going to win. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or if you're like a Red Sox fan in the last 20 years, like, or, or a Boston fan, or if you're from New York, you're like, ah, oh, there's a good, there's a good chance it's going to work out because that's who we are. 
But I don't think any Toronto fan thinks that way. So, so the fact it actually worked out uh, for once. Well, but um, it's not even just that. Like, like it's like if he had just taken the shot and it went in, that's one thing. It's like it's like yeah, he can make a shot. It's like we got the lucky bounce. We never get the lucky roll. It is always Golden State or Boston these last twenty years. Like it's like it happened in a way that literally shattered all of our preconceived sort of hangups and anxieties about like the refs are out to get us, or it's like we never get the breaks, or if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. Shockingly, in that moment, I don't know what it was, the confluence of the universe, but the ball bounced the right way. And it's like anything. It's like we just are so conditioned, like you said, the ball, ne- we never get the lucky bounce or the lucky roll or the lucky whistle. And it's like, wow, like, is that what that feels like in that moment? It's like we waited so long that it almost made the moment worth it. You know what I mean? Because well, I read on Facebook happened. that it was the best moment in Toronto sports history. <laughs> <laughs> so I obviously was very overjoyed. Shane is referring to me. Uh, you know, after the moment, I was so swept up in all of the emotion uh, that I, I wrote in all caps on my Facebook. Uh, greatest moment in Toronto sports history. Uh, of course, that is not the case. The Joe Carter walk off World Series winning home run. The great call. Uh, touch them all, Joe. That is the greatest moment in Toronto sports history. But it was kind of a mix of hyperbole because I know everyone on my Facebook knows that I'm like a Raptors obsessive <laughs> and I've been doing this for 20 years now. But uh, also it was like, it's just a nice moment. Let's well, have and, it. And obviously you were saying, in my opinion, into what I care about, yeah. this is the greatest moment in Toronto sports history. So yeah. you're, you, even though you're not overtly saying in my opinion or what's important to me, that's pretty much what you're saying and everyone knows that who knows you. Yeah, but then you got a couple. You got trolled. Yeah, people jumped on, and I, it started to make me totally understand hot take culture. Yeah. I'm like, uh, the reason they want people to go on these shows, like you know, around the horn or whatever, and have these hot takes, like being like, uh, LeBron James isn't good at basketball. It's like they don't even believe it when they say it. But what it does is it generates people mm-hmm. talking about that statement, and it was never more obvious than when I posted that super innocuous thing on my Facebook. Everybody's jumping on the comments, going, "Well, I think Joe, Cor- <laughs> Joe Carter has it beat." And there was one comment that was like. This city has 13 Stanley Cups and two World Series, and each one of those had their own moments. This is just a second-round shot. And I was just like, oh, man. I'm like, people really uh, get after this stuff. They, they would, like, if, you have, like, if you put out a definitive statement or something like that, people want to argue it. People love arguing about sports. Well, if you, if you had said, like, greatest sports moment for me, like greatest sports moment for me or something, then people wouldn't have said anything. But because it's like it was sort of a, a definitive statement, which – I think uh, it's always implied that Mike's giving his opinion right after the game and he's had a few beers. Yeah. And, and yeah. Like, but what it, it totally did make me like sort of appreciate why hot take culture like does work. And it is so watchable on TV because sometimes people just want to get angry at other people's opinion. It's like, don't speak for me. How can you oh, say yeah. that's the greatest? And some people were saying the, the, the Jose bat flip was this was way bigger than the Jose bat flip. Oh, like, yeah. I would I would accept Joe Carter walk off. Kawhi Leonard, uh, game seven winning uh, jump shot, then the bat flip. Well, teams have, in, in the Stanley Cup win, whenever that was, like 1968 well, or something. The thing. 13, <laughs> 13 Stanley Cups. They haven't won in 60 years. Like the last person that witnessed yeah. that in person is either dying and, or dead. And there was only four teams in the league back then. Not everyone even had a yeah. TV. So how could it be a fucking moment yeah. that, like. It's not- like saying Johnny Carson had the highest rated show. There was two <laughs> other stations. <laughs> So and other teams have won. Other teams have won the Stanley Cup. That's yeah. happened before. A shot, a buzzer beater shot in the uh, game seven of a playoff series has never happened in NBA history. Okay, here's a question. Okay, I think we can all agree that the Carter home run is number one. But what do you think? Yeah. So Mike, you're saying 
that the Kawhi shot is ahead of the bat flip? Because to me, two and three are up for debate. Like, what do you, what would you place ahead, Shane? People have flipped bats before, though. Listen, Max, come on. Okay, so here, here we go. The reason Kawhi gets ahead of the bat flip for me, people, before you start tweeting at us and shit, uh, is because he ended a series and we're going to the conference final. That Jose bat flip, I believe, was in, what was it, game three. It wasn't a definitive moment, but it was a momentum-shifting moment. It was very cathartic because if people remember uh, earlier, like I think the inning before, one of the uh, batters hit like Russ Martin's glove and then people started throwing That's shit right, onto yeah. the field. So it was like darkest before the dawn. So the home run was like this. Finally, like the umps are fucking us. Everyone's out to get us. And it was a very cathartic home run. And I can't remember if that was, I don't think that was a closeout game though. Was it? No, I don't think it was a close. And there's sure been a bunch of cool bat flips in sport and history. walk-offs. So I looked the, the the day after the Batista thing. I looked up like cool bat flips in sports history. There's been a million of those fucking yeah. home runs where a guy flips the bat and it's awesome. Playoff and situation, I, I think, is what makes that Jose bat flip I, so I agree, amazing. Yeah. But the Kawhi thing has never happened in the entire history of the NBA. I agree. And the Raptors own that moment for that reason. They're number two. He called. He called series Max. I tend to agree with you guys. Um, also, I think Joey Bats, though, I think the bat flip, like, he started, like, this bat flip movement. Like, since Joey Bats did it, like, more more MLB players do the bat flip. But, I but feel, I feel that, like he set, ended it, though. Well, no, what it is is it's, you're talking about, like, expression in baseball. Like, there's this old school sort of, like, fan in baseball that doesn't like players to sort of, like, show up other guys. And so when Jose flipped that bat, it became a hot take talking point of, like, is Respect. he disrespecting the game? Yeah. Exactly, all that shit. So you're saying, Max, now more players are, are sort of openly ex- celebratory? I feel like less, way less. I disagree. That's a hot take that I have, uh, that he ended the bat flips because <laughs> people started realizing, like, oh, now I'm copying one of the best bat flips of all time. And p- there was a debate whether he should be fined for doing that. Yeah. So players stop yeah. doing it because it's, a, it's kind of a polarizing move. Another thing I will say, and this kind of supports Shane's, Shane's point a bit to, to bump that Kawhi jump shot up the list, is this. Jose's bat flip is one of the greatest moments in Toronto sports history, I think undeniably. This Kawhi thing is actually one of the like, most memorable moments in NBA history. Not just because he won a yeah. series, but because it's the only time it has ever happened and the way that the ball fell it was so cinematic like no one who follows the nba will never not know about that shot that shot becomes canon it immediately becomes historic the bat flips historic in toronto and i think in the nba or sorry in the mlb modern mlb but i think it's like i don't know yeah i just i just think that that shot by Kawhi leonard the way it happened with the situation and everything i just think that that will literally be run Obviously, for the rest of his career, that becomes a, a career-defining shot in a lot of ways, but also in the larger sort of NBA narrative. If you're just the type of person who's into seeing stuff that you'll probably never see again in your life, that's a cool moment. Like, if you're into, like, solar eclipses or whatever that happen every 12 years, that will probably, if, if odds line up, will never happen again in our lifetime. Yeah, a lot has to happen for that to... Well, it's, it's never happened in the last 80 years, so... Yeah, I was so happy I was, like, in the... In the building for it, um, but my, one of my favorite parts of the night was seeing uh, Mike and your brother Greg and our friend Dan Hamilton because uh, we we insisted that we need to celebrate this victory because we worked <laughs> so hard for it, right? Yeah. So we had to go burn the city to the ground. Um, I actually had to fly to LA. I had to be up at four a.m. and it, you know the game ended at what like ten thirty. So I was like, all right, let's you know what? Maybe Max Maxi Boy isn't sleeping tonight. 
uh, we met uh, at a, at an Earl's around the corner, and when we saw each other, we just started celebrating like as if we had just hit the shot like uh, like a second ago, <laughs> and we yeah. were like jumping together, and it was so cathartic to see you guys because I know how much uh, you know. You guys are the people who I'd want to spend that moment with. And Mike, I've never seen you happier. And the, the the craziest thing though is that your brother Greg, who we all know as the most sort of pessimistic person probably in our group, like he he's usually the the naysayer. He he started talking crazy shit about Kawhi staying. He's like, guys, Kawhi staying. It's all happening. <laughs> like every everything is getting better. I was like, I can't believe these are words coming out of your mouth, Greg. It was so funny. Like like that moment made Greg a believer, and Greg is not a believer. Like it was it was awesome. And then we proceeded to order many bottles of champagne. <laughs> we ordered some shots. Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, but yeah, I would I would not have changed anything about that night. I I, I had to wake up at. Uh, yeah, 4 a.m. As I said, you know, I took the flight across the country and I had to like go right to some meetings and shit. And I was just like really running on fumes. But because the Raptors had won, I was in such a good mood. Like normally I, I'm a bit of a baby when it comes to that kind of thing, like having to operate on little sleep. But like it really just I floated through the next day on no sleep because I felt so good. It was truly, it was truly beautiful, and and it was nice. Every time someone else would arrive, sort of at the bar, it's like you get to celebrate again. And at all the TVs, they just kept running the replay, and you mm-hmm. can't see that shot oh. enough. I've mm-hmm. literally watched it probably like three thousand times. Like I can't stop watching it. Yeah, but well, yeah. every time you watch it, you see something new. Yeah, yeah, and, or a new angle just makes it even more exciting. Or you're watching it through someone else's eyes. It's, it's very, very cool. Well, the um, funny thing that we just saw in our Facebook group and in, in the Champagne Boys group is that there was a photo of the Philadelphia 76ers bench and uh, the nut happened to have courtside seats right behind the bench. And the the faces of the players is just like a look of disbelief and they're stunned. <laughs> and then there's and then you can see the nut behind them screaming with like the craziest yeah, screaming, like the craziest expression on his face. And it's like an awesome, awesome photo. Yeah. It was it was one for the ages, boys, and now uh, now on to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Which on which um, the, the nut was reaching out. We were going to drive to Milwaukee on Friday. Uh, it was on the table. No, we, really? Yeah, we started wow. sorting out. Tic- yeah, it was going to happen, but then uh, Shaney Boy and Greg uh, aren't able to get free and and fuck off for a Friday, so we ended up shutting it down. But uh, yeah, I, that's it, a long that's a long drive. It's eleven <laughs> hours. Yeah, and it was yeah. like. Uh, it was one of those things too where I'm like, man, I've really been like rapturing it up over these last few weeks, and Danica has been a saint. Because by the way, Mon- uh, Sunday was Mother's Day, and it kind of screwed me because I'd been offered tickets to the game. Shane and I were both offered tickets actually through work, and uh, we both passed one. It was actually we didn't even brought this up. It was Shane's birthday on Sunday. Happy birthday, Shane! Oh, no, thank you. I should have opened with that. No, thank you. Oh shit, Shane! Happy birthday! I didn't yeah, even- you didn't say shit, Max. I wasn't going to say shit either. <laughs> Sorry about that. Fuck, yeah. I feel bad. And you've always said happy birthday to me. Sorry, no, Shane. No, it's fine. No uh, one in the Champagne Boys group said anything either. Oh, you, yeah. You, usually there's a dancing cat or something, some sort of gif sent around, but uh, not this year. But it was Mother's Day. Is your birthday on Facebook? Yeah, do you have it on Facebook, though, so it pops up for people? No, I don't. That's my cool guy move. That's the friend tester, too. You know who really remembers. Uh, yeah, and the answer is no one. Now I, I texted know. you. No, I know. I'm kidding. Of course, <laughs> Mike is my uh, one true friend, so he did message me. But, uh, uh, also, your daughter's birthday? Was It was Lou's birthday. It was uh, her baptism also, and I ended up being baptized. Whoa! So yeah. You're bearing the lead. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy day. And so what I, what, wasn't, there wasn't only basketball dunks. 
No, I was, yeah, dunking my head in holy water. D- did you actually? Did you? Well, it was very strange because I didn't know this, but if you are not a, uh, if you haven't d- gone to all the classes to officially be baptized as a person who wasn't baptized when you were a baby, yeah. you have to be in mortal danger to actually uh, officially be baptized. So I had no idea of this. So someone came at me with a knife <laughs> to, try to, to try to cut my finger because they thought I would be cool with having my finger cut. But Alex is Come like, Come on. I swear to God. Uh, now Can that I'm a big evil yeah. dude, <laughs> he'll understand after Sunday. But uh, so Alex is like, trust me, Shane isn't good with blood. He uh, he has a lot of tattoos, but he's very uh, scared of needles. So she's like, I think anyone would be okay with a little prick. And then uh, Alex goes, Yeah, let's ask a random person. And there was a random uh, dude there who was dating one of the people at the uh, baptism. He goes, Hey, would you cut? Would you cut your finger right now? And the guy goes, uh, Yeah, but why? So, so <laughs> he, help no, it wasn't helping me. So anyway, she comes at this woman comes at me with a knife. But you know this is happening. No, I don't know what's going on. And the knife, it's a very sharp knife. It's real, and it's at my neck, like this far away. And I'd, I thought it was a plastic knife as like a joke. So I was going to say, don't do it, and slam my neck <gasps> into the knife, which would have, if not killed me, definitely sent me to the hospital to get my neck sewn back together. And if they weren't able to splash you before you died, also sent you to hell. Yes. <laughs> it would have been a double <laughs> whammy. Get the water on him. He doesn't come much Worst longer. Mother's Day ever. Uh, but then I thought, oh, this person looks like they're actually holding a real knife. And I look back, and it was a very sharp uh, like a Ginsu. Like a, a Ginsu, yeah. Could have chopped a penny in half. And then, I, <laughs> and then next thing I knew, my dad brought in holy water because my dad drives a, a hearse. And I guess he has access to holy water. Like, I think they keep it handy. That's, how, that's actually the fuel tank. <laughs> that's how those things <laughs> <Yes>. run. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, my head was dunked in the water. And now I'm a holy man. You do. You have a little bit of a glow about you. Thank you. you and then that, that miraculous game happened. So coincidence, I think not. Once you uh, once you joined a good team, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you have the confidence of a man that knows he's getting into heaven now. It's true, yeah. But yeah, that was my day. And uh, what else were we? Ta- we were talking about something else though. Mother's Day or something. Uh, Milwaukee. Oh, Milwaukee. We're not, yes. So we're not doing the road trip to Milwaukee, uh, but I will be at the game on Sunday. And this morning, I feel like it's become a Raptors pod. I bought a single ticket to Game Six because that could be the one that sends us to the finals, and I want to be in the building for that. Ooh. Yeah. Nice, smart. Um, and we're all forgetting uh, about Dave Grohl, I guess. Oh, shit. That's the other thing. There's been a lot going on. We're very, uh, we're very lucky. It's such a crazy and fun time. Like, also, like, Game of Thrones is just happening. It's like, it feels like this is the, the craziest, sort of, like, most exciting. There's always something to look forward to mm-hmm. time that I can remember, uh, like, in, in ever, maybe. I don't know. Like, the Raptors usually don't go this deep with this much sort of optimism. Game of Thrones wouldn't be coming to an end. We have lots going on in our professional lives. And you're never moderating for Grohl. Um, That never happens. Yeah, it was all working out. So yeah, we we did that for Canadian Music Week. They were kind enough to have us have me uh, go down there and moderate. And uh, Maxie was there. Uh, Shaney was also in the room with his wife Alex. Um, it was cool. Yeah, we we got there early because we wanted to sort out sort of how we we're gonna do the intro and the Q and A and all that stuff. And so it was me, Max, and Manager Ash. And we were kind of hanging out backstage waiting to be like, oh, we'll get a, a chat in with Dave and his mom, Virginia, who is going to be on the pod uh, in, in, uh, down the road because we interviewed her uh, on her own the day before the, the panel. And um, yeah, Max, did you have like a, a nervousness yeah, waiting for yeah, Dave Grohl to show I, up? Well, I thought it was, um, it was a really cool experience. I, I was excited uh, to see you in action because, uh, Mike, you, you really were 
the perfect uh, moderator. You had, you gave a short little introduction and then you moderated the Q and A and you're such a pro at it. And so I was ex- excited to see you. I was also, um, it was kind of fun to see and just kind of realize like what a megastar Dave Grohl is because he's obviously a man of the people and his whole brand is like, I just like to rock out in my garage. Like that's kind of like what he's about. But we quickly realized that when like five secret service looking guys showed up backstage, like, yeah. and he was coming through some like back entrance, we're like, Oh yeah, no, wait a second. This guy's probably one of like the top, I don't know, 50 most recognizable people in the world. And he clearly needs to like roll with security. So a bunch of dudes in suits, uh, you know, travel with him. And they come and ahead. Like, like you said, suit. they like, they scout ahead. Like, you know what I mean? It's like the security always gets there before the big star gets there. So then there's like all of a sudden kind of like a buzz. You get that feeling. Yeah. So, so, and then he, he, he emerged and, uh, you know, uh, we, we had just a few moments before the set, uh, before the, uh, before Mike's presentation. Well, what were the remarks. moments? Um, well, he was, it was one of those things where we said hi to him quickly and everybody's looking for two minutes of his time. So there's a bunch of people kind of milling around backstage and everybody wants to get their kind of two seconds. Oh, Hey Dave, good to see you again. Oh, do, oh I know so-and-so, you know, so-and-so. And, and then you try to make some kind of connection with him and try to make like an impression. And I did the same thing cause we opened for, for, uh, Dave Grohl and them crooked vultures back in 2010 or 11 at uh then the air Canada center and um but it was kind of I, as soon as i said that i felt kind of stupid because i'm like you know what how many bills has he shared with other random bands in the last 10 years and it is a lot there's like probably thousands <laughs> so he was like oh cool and we, we I, what else did I, do i mention mike did i, did I say anything yeah else well well it was well because so we had spoken to his mom virginia we interviewed her the day before so max and i had like a connection so like oh hey virginia we said hi to her she said hi you know remember us from the conversation the day before and then dave's kind of there and dave girl's tall he's like a legit like what like six one six two something like that Nah, I'd say I'm like maybe six feet. That's my guess. Six feet? I think he was taller than you, Max. I do, but I could be wrong because he was all he was wearing like Vans, like flats. Anyway, he he's there and uh, he's kind of like wedges, kind of right in between like Max and I. So we're kind of like in a three person triangle. And I remember thinking at that point, man, I hope someone's getting some photographs of this because this is a cool sort of casual conversation. And uh, Max had mentioned the, the them crooked vulture things, and I actually have a mutual person that I know too named Maddie Green. He's like a, a mixer down in L.A. who we went to school with. He's like one of my brother's best friends, um, and he like hangs out with the girls he like does barbecues and stuff so i was going to but then i actually unlike max i i i'm not going to do that instead i'm just going to ask i'm going to start out normally so like oh i'm like uh, when'd you get into town and dave said uh, oh he's like uh, i got in uh, last night he goes and i immediately went to a bar he goes and then i was out until uh, four in the morning and i was <laughs> like awesome. uh i was like that's like i laughed i'm like that's funny i go um I go, so, so what time did you get up today? He's like, well, I'm still on West Coast time. He's like, but I slept until noon. And he goes, listen, man. He's like, I got three kids. He goes, so any chance you get a, a, an opportunity to sleep until noon? He's like, you fucking take it. And then I said, there's my opening. I go, oh, man. I'm like, I hear you. I have a six-month-old daughter. I'm a new dad. I'm trying to figure that out. Then he kind of like his eyes, like, oh, we can connect on something that's maybe not music or whatever. And he said, uh, he goes, oh, man, he's like, right now, he's like, I'm going to tell you something. He's like, you're in like the sleep training. You're like, oh, she's six months. You know, you got to sleep train. He's like, you're going to realize real quickly that they, you don't sleep train them. They fucking sleep train you, right? And then it's like this <laughs> kind of parent bit connecting thing. And then I kind of moved on to Virginia. And then Max and Dave actually started, or yeah, you guys started talking about a mixer. I don't know. You, you mentioned somebody you had in common, but then I, I exited the conversation at that point. Mike, but what I like the most about that whole thing is that you predicted um, before, like the day before, you said, I bet you Dave Grohl 
is going to come up here under the pretense of hanging out with his mom and doing this like short little talk. But it's really just an excuse to get away from his family and go up and party in Toronto for the weekend. <laughs> that was my theory. Uh, yeah, that's a good theory. That was your theory. And you were totally right. You nailed it, Mike. It was uh, That's exactly what he did. He was like, hey, I got to go see my mom in Toronto. We're trying to sell this book that she wrote a couple of years ago. Because um, <laughs> it's, so uh, it's so random. It's like, it's like, oh, Canadian Music Week. The book came out in 2017. And it's like, he's going to fly across the country. He lives on the West Coast. I was like, if I was Dave Grohl, though, and I had friends in Toronto, I could be like, sorry, babe. Like, my mom's doing this thing. It's Mother's <laughs> Day. I got to go do it. And she'd be like, okay, that's fine. But then you're just like, sweet. Partying you know, all night. Yeah, yeah, go for it, you know? Because he did look <laughs> sweaty and hungover. He did. <laughs> like, from the crowd? Yeah, I was like, he either went out partying last night or he's just old and sweaty like this all the time. Ah, come on. I thought he looked like Dave Grohl. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, my other favorite part of, about the the thing was that um, Mike had to call on people in the crowd uh, who put up their hand to ask a question. So he said, oh, are you with, with the, the beard and the ponytail? Are you with the whoever? And then at one point, uh, I'm so, sort of standing on the side, so I can see Mike, but I can't really see the crowd that well. And he says, uh, you, uh, the blonde lady over there. And I'm like, huh, the blonde lady. And then I look up and it's Alex asking a question. <laughs> so Alex and Shane were there and Mike uh, did the thing where he, he pretended like he didn't know who Alex was because he's a pro. He's a pro. <laughs> of course. But we, we showed some favoritism to our own, which we well, did. Well, and we needed a little female energy because it was all just dudes asking about their band and stuff like that. I was splitting it up. So I, I opened with two women, then I went two men. And then so I actually had a method. I will say this. It's a lot of pressure like to, to actually be the gatekeeper that chooses who gets to ask Dave and Virginia a question. So I'm, I'm standing at like the, the podium and the hands go up and they're all staring at me. They all have like this, like, this look of like, like hungry people and I'm the guy with the bread that needs to decide who gets to eat. It's a lot. I don't like being in that position. So I was just like, I'm going to try and I'm going to keep it equal men and women and I'm going to jump around and I'm going to try to like go to some super fans or whatever. And then I saw Alex, she had the hand up and she was super keen. And I go, then I had a little mini crisis because I'm like, do I not show favoritism? And you know, I know that you guys got in for free because like we, we sorted it out and Greg Stewart took care of you guys. Uh, and some of these other people really wanted, you know, this was like a huge moment for them. Um, but I also know that like, you guys are fans and you're just as entitled to ask a question as anybody. So I, I, I ultimately I was like, if I don't call on Alex to ask a question, I, I still have to go to work with Shane on Monday and sit back to back. And he's going to be like, fuck you, bro. Well, Cause we wanted to kind of double dip it too, because it was uh, mother's day was coming up yeah. and we had a plan to do a post about this for Alex's blog. So mm. I start filming the question and I'm typically not good at filming stuff with the iPhone. Cause you got to record it with one hand and be flipping the uh, screen to Alex and then hit the button, flip the screen over to Dave Grohl for when he answers it. But I actually did it perfectly where I got Alex asking, I got you calling on Alex. Then I flipped the, the screen back to Alex for her to ask a question. Then I hit the button on the phone. So the screen flips back to Dave Grohl and the mom answering. Amazing. It's perfect. But my phone runs out of space, glitches out and deletes the video. Oh no. So, so I, I, yeah, Max comes in like he cares. But, um, <laughs> So I was like, fuck, that was like a huge near miss. And we already had a near miss with Dave because just by mere coincidence, uh, months ago or uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, actually, Alex booked me to be staying at the Sheridan Center uh, for my birthday. Like I took Friday off. And since Mother's Day was occupied by the baptism and Lou's birthday, Friday was like my unofficial 
birthday day. Yeah. So she's like, we're going to spend the day in Toronto and we're going to stay at this this nice uh, hotel room. Which is where this talk happened to take place. It just it happened was in the ballroom at the Sheridan. Yeah. Perfect. And before we came down to, uh, to, to go where the uh, interview was taking place, Dave Grohl is right across from our hotel room. And so he's he's on our on our floor and he's coming out the door and Alex goes, oh, my God, Dave Grohl just walked by. I go, holy shit, that's crazy. I didn't see him, but she just said and Alex doesn't have the greatest eyes. So I was kind of questioning <laughs> whether it was really him or not. And then after the uh, show with you guys, uh, we go back to our room. We start like drinking champagne and stuff. And then uh, we're, we're about to go to a, an arcade because part of my uh, birthday wish was to go to an arcade and play NBA Jam and like Papa Shot and stuff. Yeah. But then Alex is like, it's Dave Grohl again. And he's surrounded by security and he's going to his room. And then security sees us like peeking out our room. And then they walk over to us and they just start hanging out like they're Sheridan security people. Uh, so they're like, hi. I'm like, hi. Yeah, we're, we're just leaving. And they're like, cool. And they're just standing there uh, waiting for us <laughs> to, to keep it moving. But we're like stalling because I'm thinking, do I yell, hey, Dave, photo. But I'm like, this is going to be stupid. I'm going to look bad. I'm part of the Mike How Much podcast. <laughs> and I know we already have a photo with Dave Grohl because you and Max are obviously going to take one. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck it. They'll get the good photo. Let's go. Like, let's not do this. It's going to be a bad look. So we go down and I start texting you guys because I'm just seeing him was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm like, guys, Dave Grohl is staying across from me in the prime minister's suite. Yeah. And you guys are like, cool. I'm like, send me your pick. And you go, there was no pick. He boogied out, out right afterwards. And I'm like, fuck. So I look at Alex. I'm like, they didn't get the photo. And we're like, shit, do we go to the arcade or do we go back to our room and do a stakeout? <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to go back to the room because we want to be like Mike on Much Heroes, right? And at that least would get be a amazing. Because uh, we're just thinking like this is going to get so many likes. People are going to love it. A lot of comments. We, we come back and we... Uh, we, st- we start, we pour a glass of uh, champagne and there's this bench in our room and we pull the bench out into the hallway that is right outside the door. And we just sit outside <laughs> the peephole and just look through the peephole a- and wait for Grohl to come out of his room because security is waiting for any fans trying to do that. But there's a little like eye of the storm where you can be right in the middle. If you have a room right across from Dave, you can get to him without security getting. <laughs> wow. To and I'm like, I have my ear to the door. I'm, I'm looking through the people. We, every time we hear a noise, we kind of would, our routine was we pretend we're leaving. But then security's looking and is like, I see what these guys are doing. They're pretending they're leaving every time they hear a noise. And often it was just other people doing that. So I'm like, fuck, Alex, give me the ice bucket. Because the security's ah, onto us. I, I can't keep going out into the hallway. So the next noise we, we hear, I leave. And of course, it's not Dave Grohl. But I have an ice bucket. So I just walk down to towards Dave Grohl's room and the ice buck the ice machine is right outside Grohl's room yeah. so I'm just like I'm gonna hide in this little crevice oh and wait <laughs> but security starts walking up and they don't hear any ice machine noises so then I'm like oh and I hit but the no ice is coming out and security's like ice machines uh broken and I was like oh yeah darn and I was like, where's the other uh, ice machine? They're like, floor below. So now I have to go to the floor below and really get ice to prove that I'm <laughs> a legit person looking for ice. And then as I walk by, I'm like, listen, listen and watch. Because Alex has bad ears and eyes. So I'm like, you got to really make sure you get this if while I'm getting the ice, Dave Girl walks by. And then, of course, 
He didn't. We, we were waiting there for like an hour and a half, eating up a lot of arcade time. <laughs> and then we just ended up going to the arcade. But it would have been amazing had we gotten the photo. Good yeah. effort. I appreciate it. And then later, I believe it was the next day, we saw that uh, your brother-in-law, I'll call him, he ended up getting a picture with Dave Grohl, and then he got like hundreds of comments on his Instagram, and I was quite jealous. Yeah, Luke and the Dirty Nail played with them the yeah. next day in like North Carolina. Oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, very pissed. Yeah, they did a festival down there. Um, but actually, on that note, um, it was funny. As soon as Dave Grohl got off stage, he kind of like – sort of scurried around because I think he wanted to take a hit from his jewel because he had a little jewel and I don't think he wanted to do that in front of people for some reason. So a jewel is a vape. Yeah, a vape. Sorry, yeah. And then he was like, I really need to go pee. So he disappeared like into this back sort of like shipping area behind the convention center, behind the room we were in. And then we were like, okay, cool. He'll take his piss wherever that is and then he'll come back in because that he can't actually leave through that way because it's literally just like a garage, but he never came back. So he, he clearly had a game plan for getting the hell out of there and not having to talk to us, which was smart because that's probably what I would do. And yeah, like, I mean, that's like his, so Virginia was sticking around to sign books and all that stuff. And just the way that that room was laid out, it was pretty like intimate, cool experience if you're, if you're a Dave Grawl or Foo Fighters fan. Um, but if you're him, you're like, how do I know? Like everyone's going to swell to try and get stuff signed because it was a very small area into the backstage area. And so it, it totally would make sense to sort of try and get out as soon as possible. But we hung out, we talked to Virginia for a bit and uh, yeah, and then she went and signed books and that interview will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We had a lot coming out. We got K Flay coming out. We got Virginia Grohl, Virginia Hanwin Grohl. Um, I feel like there's another interview too that I'm forgetting about, but we just keep knocking them out. We're going to eventually put in a regular episode of Mike on much at some point. Are you allowed yeah. to put out the conversation that was had uh, between Grohl and his mom? That, I don't know. We didn't uh, have a recording of it if okay. they have it. But that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to talk to uh, Mr. Greg Stewart, uh, who sorted this all out for us. But uh, it was a cool experience. Do you want to do some topics or what? Yeah, I mean, I think we, the Raptors and Grohl were, are technically topics, but we have another one on the agenda. Uh, let's get to it. Yeah, so uh, Maxie hit us with some topics. Uh, they are... Uh, do you want to do coffee with the cop or the Harvard safe space, Maxie? Let's do Harvard safe space. I thought that was an interesting one. So, okay. Mike, give us a rundown. of the, this, is a, this is a big story in the news right now, and it's kind of developing as, as we uh, are recording this. Yeah. So um, the headline, obviously, in the New York Times is Harvard's first black faculty deans let go amid uproar over Harvey Weinstein defense. Um, so essentially, like, I guess like when you're these faculty deans are uh, former alumni that uh, look after like the certain housing where like the, the kids, I guess, hang out, the students hang out and they you can use them for like um, they can advise you on your school or like in personal matters. They're sort of like an advisor, Max, would you say? Yeah. And, and I don't know if he's necessarily an alumni, but he's staff. He's a he's a faculty member. In the, in the law department, I believe. Yes. So, so he's a lawyer, uh, always a professor, Ronald S. Sullivan Jr. and his wife, Stephanie Robinson. Uh, they were they're the, these deans that were recently let go. And the reason they were let go is because uh, Mr. Sullivan uh, decided to defend uh, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, in his upcoming um, trials and case. So he had joined the defense team as like a, obviously a, a, a practicing lawyer. Um, and I guess the students felt that it wasn't um, a good idea to have somebody that would defend Harvey Weinstein also then be someone in a position to advise uh, the students at Harvard. So uh, the reason this is a story is because uh, Mr. Sullivan and his wife were let go. They will not be retained as deans of the 
uh, of Harvard University. Yeah, it's, it was really interesting. Um, and, and, you know, when, when this was happening, when, when some of the students, uh, you know, made their concerns noted, a, lo- a lot of faculty members came to his defense saying, you know, this is a guy who, you know, is, is offering legal services um, to, to somebody who's been accused of some pretty brutal crimes. Um, and he, but he's also defended, uh, Michael Brown, uh, Michael Brown's family, who's a, a black man who was killed by a police officer in, in St. Louis. Am I getting that right? In St. Louis. Uh, he, he's been on, he's been a part of a lot of high profile cases, uh, for people that, uh, have been, uh, found to be mistreated by the, the police. And also he, he's defended like terrorists too. So he is a defense lawyer and he, you know, under the rules of, uh, of our society, you know, everybody is innocent until proven guilty, even if it looks like it's very obvious and he's providing that service. Um, yeah. But, but a lot of the faculty members immediately said, this is, this is absurd to have this guy, you know, removed from his position, um, just because he, he's providing an essential service, uh, to somebody who's been accused of a, of a crime. Um, yeah. And and there's a lot you can read up on it, by the way. Like I've, I've been, there's a, uh, this is like a really interesting conversation that has to do with sort of safe spaces and um, how the, you know, the voices on campus and, and how they have mobilized. But yeah, Shane, I was kind of curious to know what, uh, did you read the, 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 the times thing? Uh, no, I was uh, reading the, uh, the other one about the, the mulberry thing with the coffee in a cup. <laughs> Cause I didn't think we'd have time to get to this. So, but yeah, I, I understand it now from you, uh, telling me the story but you like you want my opinion on it no that's kind of it and basically uh i think like the the student that sort of uh is uh is sort of the loudest one on campus for wanting him to go is very happy with the decision that harvard has made to get rid of this guy um but yeah i mean it's um mike how about you begin what 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 are your kind of thoughts on on this sort of like campus activism because I know it's, it's a pretty hot button issue right now. Yeah, uh, I, I do think it's an interesting story for a few reasons, because it's like, I think that it's like, in theory, like, so ultimately, it's like in this society, we, we decide that if you are charged with a crime, you obviously like are proven, you're innocent until proven guilty, and you have the right to like a competent defense or whatever. So it's like, there's this sort of like, this system and this structure that we have, that we all agree, well, this is the best way to sort of proceed um, in society. But then it gets kind of, kind of shady like first of all if you're this guy if you're professor sullivan why the hell would you take this job like i just i don't understand what the thinking is there like this is the most like i'm not gonna say polarizing case this is the most like sort of like he's like people view harvey weinstein as this like heinous cancer on society this sort of criminal that has done all these reprehensible things to women and abused his power so now i get that like in a vacuum or in the construct of law, it's like, well, you know, somebody has to defend him. And I guess Mr. Sullivan's like, and I will be that guy. Now, I just don't understand why he would like jeopardize his position at Harvard. I don't understand why he would take that job unless he would say, I believe so staunchly in sort of like the rule of sort of law and legal defense and what people are entitled to that this just proves exactly that. You know what I mean? I am willing to defend this person because I think they're entitled to a fair defense. I mean, should he lose his gig? I don't know. What does Harvard stand for? And I guess, like you said, I think there was like 52 faculty members that signed a petition basically saying that he shouldn't lose his position. Um, yeah, I just think it gets really difficult because it's like, 
I can understand in theory why he should retain his job and why he should be allowed to take this case on. But I guess in practice or in reality, it just seems like a lose-lose from every standpoint. Um, And I think if you're dealing with young students that maybe don't necessarily feel safe on campus or they want these safe spaces, it's like it's probably hard for them to reconcile the idea that he could do this job defending a sensible monster like Harvey Weinstein and then also be somebody that could give them good advice or have their best interests at heart and all that stuff. I mean, it is, it's tricky. It's kind of all just one big gray area that comes down to like feelings versus rules versus what is sort of morally right and sort of how we want to proceed. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I think defense lawyers are built in a certain way. Like I know I referenced Peter Rosenthal uh, often in my life and, and he's the inspiration behind the song, song, a little rain, a song for Pete. And, and he's been involved in representing, you know, groups like the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty and victims of uh, police brutality. And he's a, he's a real sort of social justice kind of lawyer. But he's also in the past um, defended people who have done some pretty terrible things. And I can't recall exactly the case, but he definitely has represented someone who was found guilty of murder. And you know. Uh, I think to be a defense lawyer, you have to really believe in the idea of like everybody deserves a fair trial and everybody deserves a competent lawyer defending them. Um, I mean, I imagine there's some defense lawyers who draw a line at a certain point where we're saying like, I couldn't, I couldn't represent a Paul Bernardo or I couldn't represent like, you know, I don't know, or Harvey Weinstein. But I do think it's important that there are people like that have this sort of the the mental um, sort of disposition to want to uh, engage in that kind of legal battle because everybody does deserve a fair crime. And by the way, this guy has, I think, uh, represented people who've been falsely accused of crimes and gotten people off of like death row from what I understand. So I think this guy has provided some really valuable legal services. I do think pragmatically speaking, it was probably a poor decision based on the what fact do you think that- is, What do you think his the, motivations were? Like just like the, the paycheck? Well, I don't know. Or is it just like no, the idea of practicing law at that level? Like I don't, it just feels so like icky. Cause to your point, like we can say like, oh, you know, like law is this, in society we have this thing and this is how the system works and this is the best system we have. We don't have another one. But in reality, it's like they're constantly trying to like find little loopholes to get these people off like it's all it's like a big game you know what i mean at the expense usually of the victims in sort of like cloaked in like this this pure pursuit of justice but like i guess it's all we have yeah i mean i guess it's hard to say but i mean his resume is quite diverse when it comes to the cases that he takes on and i think he just the mistake he made was not was not recognizing that this level this kind of campus activism only really happens at ivy league schools and if you are going to be you, – you are held to a completely different standard if you are a you know, faculty member at Harvard or Princeton or Yale compared to everywhere else. And that's probably where uh, – yeah, where he was sort of uh, short-sighted. Uh, it's also interesting too. I mean there's so many dynamics here which prob- other people could talk to uh, in a better way. The fact that he's the first black uh, faculty, faculty uh, member of that house uh, and and the fact that people are questioning him and there's a racial element there. Yeah, he um, said that it wasn't the, lost on him that they were the first like black deans or like uh, in that role and then now they've both been sort of ousted um, because he's doing his job is what he would say. He's like, I'm practicing the law and it's just fascinating that you could lose your position. And I get that. I get that. He, 
in theory, you know what I mean? But then in reality, it's like, well, it seems quite obvious that you shouldn't have taken the gig. Why do you think he took the gig, Shane? Sorry, I was zoning out. Uh, <laughs> no, just because Max acted like he was going to ask me the question, and then he just skipped over me. That's so rude, I think. <laughs> Max, how do you defend that? <laughs> sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear. Well, sorry, I, uh, the phone line. What are you talking about? No, you, you were like, Shane, I, I want your opinion. I was like, oh, oh. Uh, you just want to know my thoughts? You're like, Mikey, you handle this. And then uh, just YouTube oh, chat. Oh, sorry, I thought, you said you weren't, I thought you said you weren't ready. No, carry on. Sorry, I thought because I threw you off on the wrong topic that you that you wanted to wait a little bit longer. Go ahead. No, please, no. I'm your, just mad at you now. I don't even know if I want my <laughs> thoughts out there. I'll probably oh, get in trouble it. now. Come on. <laughs> Shane, please deliver us your thoughts. Go. Well, I don't know. Well, Initially, I would think it was just a stupid move to take just because it's so highly publicized. But my, my wife is big on uh, rehabilitation. And she's kind of always telling me like uh, one, of, one of her things that she wants to do is re- uh, rehabilitate criminals like volunteer and stuff like that. And I was like, initially, I was like, even if they're like murderers or rapists, she's like, yeah, everyone kind of deserves a chance at rehabilitation. So maybe this lawyer's thought is rather than have someone just rot in jail or be uh, and throw away the key maybe we try to rehabilitate people and that's what he's fighting for and that's his defense maybe that's his his stance i i don't know but i i would think it's it's pretty weird if your job is being a defense attorney to get in trouble for doing your job and that you might say uh, at harvard we we really recommend he not do this we think it's disgusting we think harvey's a, a gross person but we also think that people have a right to do their job so I think that is more of a reasonable stance than just firing someone who's trying to do that the job that they probably went to Harvard to do. Yeah, is that not is that not strange? I think that's why someone? this story is is resonating because it does kind of ha- it hits those the, the nuance of those points where it's like there's this emotional reaction which really isn't even about Sullivan, Professor Sullivan, and Harvey Weinstein. It's more about like what is a defense attorney's job and what kind of person does that gig and the way that society is sort of like drifting toward because in the past. I think there's, and you'll still see this on Twitter. People are like, listen, innocent until proven guilty. What happened to the rule of law, right? And then there's this whole other sort of vocal wave of people that are like, listen, that shit doesn't work because that shit favors people with money and it it favors weasels that can get out of shit. They can manipulate the system. So if somebody does something bad, I think we all can kind of figure that out as a society and then we need to sort of like cancel that person or whatever that is. So this kind of hits this weird thing in people where it's like, one, you have to intellectualize, oh yeah, defense attorneys, that is a weird gig somebody did defend paul bernardo like they made money off of that guy having to defend himself for a crime that he committed where victims literally have to live well on past when someone might be rehabilitated so i think there's like this kind of intellectual element and then there's just the emotional element where it's like we hate harvey weinstein why would anybody associate with him yeah i was i was gonna say that like for me um this the safe space um conversation is really interesting because um, I, I think it's really important for all of us to be like sensitive to people's experiences and um, and to recognize that you know people react to events differently. So so you know this idea that you know some somebody uh, you know who's representing Harvey Weinstein is is a person of power like on your campus like that. I get to a certain degree that like that could be a troubling idea. Um, to, to me though, as, as somebody who wants progress to happen, I, I always kind of feel like, oh, you know, for it could, because the, 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 the person who spearheaded this, this, uh, the, uh, the kid who 
was sort of the loudest on campus to get this guy fired is really kind of overjoyed, it seems like, with Harvard's decision. And I kind of think I'm like, you know, objectively speaking, Harvard is probably one of the safest places in America to be a young person. You know, there's campus police. It's in an affluent city. It's in a good neighborhood. Um, and I kind of just wish that you that people would use their energy um, and, and that sort of motivation uh, and put it in to places that are really actually physically dangerous and, and really like, cause I think there's so much goodness there uh, that can be taken by that kind of motivation and energy. But if it like, but it, I just don't know if the camp on campus at Harvard is the place where people are actually unsafe. I think there are so many other places in and around America that are actually unsafe and could use an extra hand. So just as like a pragmatic, um, or sort of a practical choice, I just like wish we would all divert some of our attention to places and people that really, really are the most disenfranchised and people that could use a hand the most. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, I get where you're coming from. So is the whole idea that these people feel... Oh. He made his point and he hung up the phone. <laughs> right. I'm out. Shane speaking. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> One last thing, Maxie. <laughs> That's hilarious. Max, we have you on speaker. You just called my... What happened? The call dropped. So yeah, I know. I, it I, ended up being off. actually a really funny moment because it was right as Shane was starting to speak and it was like you actually didn't give a shit about what he had to say. <laughs> okay, is there anything else we need to let the uh, the, the people know, Maxie? We got uh, some interviews coming up. We uh, You could catch our show on Crave, Mike I'm Much in Conversation With. Uh, me and Shane and our friend John Popolis do a podcast called The Pedestal. Uh, we're actually working on season two yeah, right now. I think, I think we'd like to add um, just... Um, cause it is a hot button issue and I'm, and I'm assuming that there's going to be some listeners that are going to have their, uh, have some opinions on this. Uh, let us know what you, what you think, or if there's, um, if there's a part of this thing that we're missing, uh, or that, that we should, ought to be thinking about. Cause I, cause I like these kind of conversations and, uh, yeah. So, so if there's anything about this, uh, Harvard case that you think we should check out, let us know. And I wonder if he was just as a thought exercise, let's say he was a world renowned heart surgeon. And he had to, and uh, Harvey, like who's obviously in very bad shape, needed to have <laughs> heart surgery, and he was to perform heart surgery. Would yeah. would it still be controversial? Would it be like just let that pig die? I like this as a thought exercise. Yeah. What do you think? Let the pig die or keep him alive? 